Hey y'all, this is Trent, and I am part of No Walls Worship, and we are part of E Creek UMC, and we are a mobile alternative worship service. And when Mitzi and I were married, we, we did our honeymoon in Hawaii. We were fortunate enough to be able to do that, and I know we were driving around the island. We stayed on the island of Kauai, which is the garden island, and it was really beautiful. But we, we were driving around, and we found really close to our hotel. We stopped there a couple of times, this little roadside stand that was Hawaiian shaved ice. And I'd never had Hawaiian shaved ice before, but what I learned was that Hawaiian shaved ice is a lot like a snow cone, except that outside of the ice and the syrupy, sugary goodness, there was also vanilla ice cream at the bottom. So that's what I know as Hawaiian shaved ice. And I think uh, No Walls Worship is the Hawaiian shaved ice roadside highway stop stand <laughs> of churches. That's who we are. Uh, it's March 17th, it's Saturday. And like normal, my routine is I get ready for, for Sunday service by recording the message here. And so we're going to be over March 18th, 11 a.m. at Crystal Creek Distillery. And we've been having a lot of fun being uh, over there at the distillery with those guys. They've been really, really kind to us. And <clears throat> we've appreciated how open they've been and uh, how they've welcomed us in. So I would ask you um, either to um, come hang out, uh, uh, be part of that little community, support those folks. They're, they're trying to be part of the community too and uh, make their dreams come true and um, do some good things. And I think they're doing some good things. So um, join us if you will. Uh, and then um, we also have our Easter Eve crawfish boil coming up. March 31st, Saturday evening, the evening before Easter, so the Easter Eve, we're doing our crawfish boil, and this is the second annual Easter Eve crawfish boil for No Walls Worship, and um, the evening's going to play out a little bit like this. It's at Crystal's Creek, like I said, and right around 5.30, the first batch of crawfish will drop, and we'll have some crawfish and some shrimp and some sausage and some corn and potatoes and just really good stuff. Uh, so 5.30, first batch will drop, and then 6.15 will be the Easter Eve service. We'll offer communion after the Easter Eve service. And then right around 7.30, the Marfa Lights will play. Really cool local band. Um, John's son, uh, stepson, who plays in the Marfa Lights, him and his buddies, they're really good. Y'all uh, should check them out. Uh, the Marfa Lights will play at 7.30. So I think the whole evening is going to be a very, very good time. And what a great way to celebrate spring and Easter and all that entails. So March 18th, tomorrow, March 31st. And then the next service will be April 15th over at the distillery. Also some cool stuff to share with you about um, Second Sunday Serve, April 8th, a uh, service event we're partnering with. Bee Creek UMC um, to do service over at the Spicewood Elementary. 
um, more details to come about that. All right, the message I'm going to roll through tonight uh, for tomorrow is called Arms Out and Fly. Arms Out and Fly, a.k.a. The Beginner's Mind. Um, so let's roll into it. My son Rowan is three years old. He, he just turned three, well, just the day after Christmas. And I think we're going to have to start celebrating Rowan's birthday on the halves. I've heard some folks do this. We'd celebrate his birthday on June 26th instead of December 26th. Because, y'all, the, the poor boy has not had yet a proper birthday party. The announcement will say, come celebrate with us. Rowan's turning three and a half. <laughs> Ten and a half. Rowan's turning 21 and a half. Y'all know that phrase, terrible twos? Well, my son is three, and it's it's more like terrible threes. Mitzi and I joke with each other sometimes. It's It's a very, very good thing that this little boy is very cute. Because if he wasn't, we we might give him back. I know Mitzi and I, right before Ella was born, we got a, a little dog. And we found out Ella was coming and we decided <laughs> we weren't going to be having that dog no more. But it was, it was a really bad dog. We struggled with it. And we sent that bad dog off to the Irish Setter Rescue. Um... I'm guessing they probably have a middle-class white boy rescue somewhere that we could get Rowan to, but no, I, I get around. Um, we, we love him, and he really is right now. He's a, he's a lot of fun. My boy, he, he loves to, he just loves to play. One of his favorite things to do with dad right now is to spin and to fly. I'll, I'll grab his arms and we will twirl around and he he I spin and he he tries to run to keep up with my spinning but his feet sort of take little staggered steps and he only hit the ground every other step a step or so until he's just swinging in the air in a circle and then we'll go around a couple of times and then I'll stop and we both exaggerate how dizzy we are. We put our arms out and go, whoa, because <laughs> we're so dizzy. His other favorite thing to do is to jump off of things and have me catch him. There's a stair in our office that he likes to climb up to and jump off the side of. And he'll also um, climb up onto the kitchen counter and jump off and let me catch him. He used to do this thing where he would climb onto the couch and he would climb up onto one of the armrests of the couch and he'd get his arm, his feet fully planted, you know, build a solid base, just, you know, feet shoulder width apart. Then he'd bend his knees, spread his arms out wide like an airplane and he'd have his head up tall, proud and say, arms out and fly. <laughs> and then he would jump off of that armrest onto the couch. But now he's he's doing this thing where he jumps off the counter uh, to me or that staircase, like I said, and 
and I, I like to do this thing where I'll, I'll stand a little too far back from the kitchen counter and I'll fake act nervous about catching him too far away or I'll, I'll show him um, my arms behind my back and say how about how about I try to catch you like this and he'll get he'll get a little upset at me and and point directly to the floor where exactly he wants me to stand so that I can catch him when he jumps. <coughs> and, and what I want you to hear is that if I let him, if I let my son do this, we we would do this for hours. I mean, seriously, he, he does not seem to tire of climbing on the counter, spreading his arms, and jumping into mine. So I'll say to Rowan, okay, buddy, last time, last time, Daddy has to do some work, or I don't say this, but Daddy just wants to sit down and watch the basketball game. Last time, okay? But I don't think he understands what last time is because he started doing this with both the spinning and the flying as soon as he lands he'll look at me and he'll be super serious and, <laughs> and say last time last time with his his finger up like a number one last time and he's learned that this move this last time last time with his finger up gets something like six to 14 more times of spinning or jumping. Children, um, children are amazing. If you have kids or if you have kids that you're close to, I think you probably understand this. And you know and you appreciate that they experience the world differently than you do. And, and that's really what I want to dig in with you today on is this idea that in some ways the way a child approaches the world is better than the way we approach the world. Here's just one example. Um, children make for... <coughs> They make for terrible audiences for magic shows. Does that... I think that sounds probably counterintuitive, but it's true. Given the choice of performing magic for a group of adults or for a group of children, the magician will pick a group of adults every single time. There was this group of economists that did this experiment, and they were, they were trying to understand this theory about how kids think and how adults think and what they set up was this test where a magician would perform this pretty classic trick the magician has a handkerchief he pulls it over here he twirls it a little bit over there then he tucks the kerchief tightly into his closed fist a magic word and then poof hands open, the handkerchief is gone. The magician then would pick somebody out of the audience, an audience member, and reach dramatically beside their ear and 
pulls slowly out the handkerchief as if from coming out of the audience member's ear. Now the magician asks the adults, how do you think I did the trick? The adults guess uh, his sleeves, but they quickly dismiss the idea because his sleeves are rolled up. And then what's interesting is really quickly the adults give up and they say, I don't know. I don't know how he did it. The magician asks the same question to the group of kids. How, how did I do the trick? One boy in the audience of the group of kids suggests, well, it was up your sleeve. But again, the magician reminds him that, no, my sleeves are rolled up. A girl uh, of the group of kids says, uh, does it have something to do with your palms? Or are you able to pinch it carefully in your palm to hide it? And the magician demonstrates that the handkerchief won't fit there. And then on the third guess, another girl says, I think you have a false thumb. You tuck the handkerchief into this into your thumb somehow. Now, what's interesting is once you've seen the false thumb, it's incredibly obvious. And then to prove the point even further, sometimes the magician uh, for this test would use a, a silver or even a red false thumb to the group of adults. And it would get it would pass without any notice. The adults are too busy looking at the distraction of the other hand. But the kids, the kids have the creativity to think of the solution or the trick behind the magic. Now, why am I talking about children? I'm talking about children because there's this passage in Matthew that I like a lot. And this is Matthew chapter 18. And I'm going to read you verses 1 through 5. This is Matthew 18, verse 1. This section is called, Who is the Greatest? At that time, the disciples came to Jesus asking, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So Jesus called a child to come and stand in front of them and said, I assure you, this is Jesus' words, I assure you that unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the one who humbles himself and becomes like this child. And whoever welcomes in my name one such child as this welcomes me. Y'all, I love, <clears throat> I love this move. I love this move that Jesus makes. I love that Jesus goes and he gets a child and he puts the child in front of them. If this weren't on podcast, what I would do is I would go and get my son, my three-year-old Rowan, and I would hold him in front of you for this part. Because I want you to see 
I want you to see the child as I said these words. And y'all, this, this move that Jesus makes, makes is significant in Jewish culture at the time and, and really now, the child, kids don't enter into the covenant with God until they are 13 and considered an adult. The, they go through a ritual, their scripture reading and a big class and a big party, bat and bar mitzvahs. And y'all, even in the Methodist church, we have rituals like this. It's called confirmation. Kids go to a, a class and they make a verbal commitment of their faith and and then <clears throat> they are officially counted on the books as a member of the church. Now I want to be careful because I'm not I'm not criticizing this. I, I think there's a lot of value and, and goodness in rituals. You know, rituals to initiate children into faith or even if it's not faith into manhood, womanhood, but I love this move because watch what, what it is that Jesus is responding to. The, the disciples, <clears throat> if you see at the start of this passage, it starts off by them asking, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now remember, much of Matthew is about upending the rules. There was this previous set of rules, this religion that folks were following and <clears throat> much of Matthew is about setting a new foundation and the disciples seem to be looking for some instructions or new rules on how to know they've arrived um, it's as if they're asking how will I know if I'm the best Christian how will I know if I've sanctified myself to the highest Jesus give us a model for who the greatest will be so we can strive to get there. And again, y'all, I love this move because I can imagine that the child, like my son, if I was to bring him up in front of a group, would be a little bit nervous about being in front of all these people. And I can imagine that the child clings tightly to Jesus and looks up trusting at him nervous but trusting because he knows he is being held and he knows he's safe the the child doesn't understand the politicking that's happening the posturing that's happening by the disciples but he does know this man he's he's seen jesus he's seen how he behaves and the child just trusts has his eyes and heart wide open to what's happening and then jesus says Jesus says, the greatest in heaven is like this, like this child. I want you to be like this. I can't imagine that they like this answer. <clears throat> Y'all, there's some brain science that explains how and why this all works. You have more neurons in your brain, you hear that? You have more neurons in your brain today than you will tomorrow. You have more neurons in your brain today than you will tomorrow. When you were born, 
when you were born, you were born with as many neurons as you will ever have. It's, uh, it's something like 100 billion neurons that you're born with. I imagine that's a safe number to throw out. If if uh, if something is a lot, and I say a hundred billion, you're not going to argue with me and say no. I think it's a hundred and two, hundred and two billion. Anyway, um, but what happens to our brains over time as we develop, as we grow from babies, is our neurons make connections, and the useful connections, the the ones that matter. Fire is hot. Pizza tastes good those neurons get stronger and stronger and stronger. The, use, the useful connections get stronger. The unuseful connections and those associated neurons, they die. And they come out in your sneezes. No, that's, <laughs> that's not true. I made that up, but that would be super cool if your neurons came out in your season, sneezes. But a lot of what we think of as intelligence is really just a collection of useful shortcuts born from experience. This is something called heuristics. Have you ever, <clears throat> if you want to understand heuristics, have you ever, no <clears throat> have you ever noticed how the the task you do at work that when you first started doing it, you know day one, year one on the job. It used to take you an hour to complete, but now it takes you 15 minutes because you've made useful shortcuts and you have to think less about the task. You're paying less attention. You're, you're like you're running on automatic. <clears throat> you don't think about new ways to complete the task anymore. You don't second guess yourself and you don't even think about if you should be doing the task at all. So you're able to do it much, much quicker. And this is what happens to us as we get older. These shortcuts get entrenched into our brains. And so this is the truth. You, you are never more creative and open and attentive to the world around you than when you are a child. Now, I don't know if Jesus understood brain chemistry, but hear, hear what Jesus says. Matthew 18, verse four. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the one who humbles himself and becomes like this child. Scientists used to think that once these pathways, these shortcuts in your brain got really strong, super strong, and this starts to happen in our early 20s that I used to think that we were somewhat hardwired or fixed. But over the last several years, scientists are learning that the brain is much more flexible, more malleable than, than they once thought. It is possible that 
new connections, new pathways, new shortcuts can be formed. They just, they just take more intent and more effort. We have to work harder to stretch our thinking. There's a, there's a phrase in Zen Buddhism. It's called Shoshin. Shoshin. And it means the, the beginner's mind. It's a, it's a childlike mind. And I think it's what Jesus meant when he said, like a child. It's a mind that approaches things fresh. And instead of looking for what it already knows, the mind is looking for what it does not know. The mind is looking for what it does not know. And there's, <clears throat> there's a counterintuitive thing here in that true experts, true masters at something don't take shortcuts. True masters, true experts, they keep coming at things fresh. They keep coming at things as a beginner. Steph Curry. NBA MVP, world champion, makes 40 million bucks a year. He arrives at the gym early on game days to do dribbling drills. Dribbling, ball handling. And as he dribbles, sometimes for hours, he is studying and focusing on how the ball reacts in his hands, how it spins, how it feels on his fingertips and a million different combinations of angles and spins and force. He approaches it like a beginner. Einstein. Einstein was famous for keeping extensive journals of the evidence he found that disproved his theories. Did you hear that? He, he kept journals of things that disproved he was actively trying to disprove his thoughts on how the world worked. The master, the expert, doesn't come at things like an expert. They come at things fresh. This is, this is Shoshin, the beginner's mind. And y'all, I, I want to do more work on this. I... I feel like I have more study to do um, and there's some work to make this practical but the beginner's mind <clears throat> this idea of being like a child this greatest <laughs> this who is who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven we got to be like this child maybe maybe we can make this a series at some point but for now, <clears throat> that's what I wanted to get across. It's just the, the power of this thought. And let me close with this. My three-year-old son, Rowan, he is struggling with bedtime. When we try to get him to bed, we get a variety of delay tactics. He'll say, I'm thirsty, or... If he's in his bed, he'll say, I want to go in mommy's bed. 
then we put him in mommy's bed and he'll say, I want to go in my bed, just anything to stay awake a little longer. And he also loves books, so he'll do that same thing with the spinning and the flying where he goes, one more book, last one. <laughs> and really, y'all, what, what one more book is really code for is let's read every single book we own until, or at least until I fall asleep. And y'all, we've struggled more with bedtime with Rowan than we have with our other kids. Maybe, maybe it's because he's our youngest, you know, how we spoil our babies. Maybe it's his personality. Maybe he's just a little bit more determined. Or maybe it's because our oldest is 18. <laughs> and we're sensitive to the idea that this stage that my son is in isn't going to last forever. This little guy who wants to cuddle with us and spend time with us and read with us. That that's, that's not going to be around forever. We understand that. And I've been noticing Mitzi is super torn and I get super torn. We get caught up in the routines of our evening, the rhythms of our nights, our shortcuts, our habits for how we spend the, the last part of our day. But we also get pulled towards bedtime with our son. And here's, here's what I know. I'm going to enjoy these lengthy bedtimes while I still can. And I'm going to enjoy the cuddling and the extra books and the little disjointed conversations we have. And I'm going to watch my son even more closely and enjoy, try to watch through his eyes what it means to be a child. You know, I, I would love... You ever have that thought like with your kids when they're little? Like You would just love to get inside their head to understand the openness and the creativity with which he's seeing the world. I'd love to get inside his head when he's standing on the armrest of the couch with his knees bent, ready to jump. And he says, arms out and fly. It's been fun. Thanks for spending time with me. Y'all be good.